is that we can show them things to do, get them to feel personally safer so that they can feel more individually empowered. And then if we could get our community to feel individually empowered, then we can engage the community as a whole. And if we can engage the community and grow, then we can create a movement. And if we can create a movement, we can create change. Welcome back to another episode of How Are You Helping? The podcast that brings to you notable leaders of purpose-driven organizations who share the mindsets, attitudes, and beliefs that got them focused on living a compassionate, altruistic life or career. I'm your host, Sean Riley. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of How Are You Helping? If you are brand new to the show, How Are You Helping is the podcast where I speak to heart-centered, purpose-driven leaders who are on a mission to help vulnerable humans, animals, or the environment through their work or the causes they are pioneering. If you are a frequent listener of the show, you may have noticed it's been a little while since the last episode of the show was released. From the rise in hateful violence against Asians to violence around the world, on top of COVID-19 and the rise of the Delta variant, to be completely honest, for a long period, I was not feeling like myself and ready to serve my listeners. With so much going on in the world, I needed to push the brakes and take some time away from the mic to recoup and allow myself to get fully rested. So I took a bit of a hiatus for the last few months before coming back to be of service to you all. If you're listening now, thank you so much for tuning back in to another episode of the show. Today's episode is especially important to me. Asian hate crimes have surged since the beginning of the pandemic. According to statistics by the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at California State University San Bernardino, between 2019 and 2020, Asian hate crimes skyrocketed 149% in 18 of America's major cities, while overall hate crimes declined by 6%, with the uptick in attacks beginning in March and April during the rise in COVID cases and negative stereotyping of Asians related to the pandemic. These hate crimes were often unprovoked and random assaults on innocent people and primarily women. Unfortunately, these anti-Asian attacks have not gone away. According to Stop AAPI Hate, a national nonprofit, over 9,000 incidents have occurred between March 2020 and June of 2021. These attacks have ranged from verbal assaults to violent robberies, beatings, and attacks resulting in death. But even these incidents are underreported and may not tell the full story. I'm speaking with Hudson Lau, the founder and executive director of Asians Are Strong, a San Francisco-based group that teaches free martial arts and self-defense lessons and is a movement to protect and empower the Asian community. Asians Are Strong is pushing for change and calling on local leadership to step up and take ownership of the problem. Hudson Lau is the founder and executive director of Asians Are Strong. Hudson created this movement to teach people to be proactive and not passive in instances of hateful violence. Along with teaching free self-defense workshops for those who don't know how to defend themselves with Asians Are Strong, Hudson and a partner from his organization together stopped two car robberies from happening in early May. Hudson is the perfect person to lead this organization, having spent many years in startup organizations in the San Francisco community 
and he's been a program leader for Keen, a volunteer organization that provides recreational exercise opportunity for young kids and young adults with developmental delays and physical disabilities at no cost to their families and caregivers. He has also practiced many different forms of martial arts for many years. It is my absolute delight and honor to introduce Hudson Lau to the podcast today. Welcome, Hudson. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me, man. It's my honor. So I want to start off the interview by talking about the founding of the work you're doing with Asians Are Strong and how you are promoting self-defense and empowerment in the Asian community. Then I want to peel back the layers and find out more about what led you in this direction and your roots. Then we'll finish off the episode with some rapid fire questions and a few other questions that I've prepared for you. How does that sound? Sounds good. Great, great. Was there a certain event that really captured your attention and made you want to start this organization, Asians Are Strong? How did Asians Are Strong begin? And what does the cause mean to you personally? Yeah, I mean, I can almost tell you back to the exact date. It was March 16, 2020, the day of the Atlanta, Georgia uh, spa massacre shootings. Um, and that, that, that was almost like the last straw that broke the camel's back. Throughout my life, I've dealt with either direct or indirect uh, racism. Uh, family has, friends have, but that was kind of the part of growing up in a in a in a, a city where it is very diverse. You're going to have different groups of people, and you know, growing up young and, and dumb, like you're going to run into them, and, and that happens. But I think through 2020, when there was COVID, adding to that rhetoric and kind of blaming scapegoating Asians and specifically the anti-China speech, that started the catalyst of, of a lot of these violent crimes happening. And just being seeing it started to build up a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. And throughout 2020, when all these things, like including the Black Lives Matters movements, just seeing more and more of these un- injustices unfold and see it started to really start to weigh heavy on me. And then that day in March, like that, that was the last straw. That was like, God, I feel, I couldn't focus at work. And I just felt helpless and hopeless. And I knew some of my friends and uh, peers felt the same way too. And then the next day there was another attack in San Francisco. Someone just hit a grandma, punched her right in the face. Um, but she actually fought back. She took out a stick, you know, hit her uh, in downtown San Francisco. You know, there also there was a help from a police officer that really mitigated all the damage that could have been done to that, that poor grandma. And, and that day, some friends and I, you know, just wanted to get link up, grab some beers, decompress a little bit. Um, and so after a few drinks and some venting, we decided that we wanted to do something. We weren't sure what yet, but we like we got to do something. We can't just sit around and, and complain about a problem that that we're not willing to do something about, you know. And then that's where you know the ideation, the brainstorming, of what could we do and how could we do, it started to come from. And at that moment in time, there wasn't a lot of protests or rallies or a lot of uh, attention given to to this problem yet. I mean, even right now, I don't think a lot of people in America, unless you're Asian, realize that this is a very prevalent thing for our community. And so we wanted to find a way to bring it awareness, but then we were also very keen on making sure that we empower the community. That was our main goal 
how can we talk to our community? How can we empower our community first? Uh, and that's the approach we went with the idea of the rally. Uh, that's, so that was the first part. And we didn't want to do it like a lot of the other ones that have been there where you've seen a, a lot of uh, speeches and, and then there's like a march. Two things. First of all, I don't know how to put on a march. So that was like kind of out of the question. The other thing was we wanted to bring in martial arts into this rally to show physical empowerment, show confidence, remind our community and remind our people like, look, we're not victims. We're not targets. We're some badass people out yeah. here. Uh, and all ages, all genders, all sizes, and we have allies and friends. Like these are the people we train with, you know. And that type of community that me and my friends share, we wanted the rest of the world to share as well. And so that was the concept behind the rally that we put on. Uh, we wanted to make sure when someone came here, they left away with a physical impression that they cannot shake out of their head. Um, and I think we achieved it. Least from the good feedback people give me. No one, no one said bad things yet. Usually, usually you put on a protest, a rally for a good cause. No one goes to you like, hey, your rally sucked. So, so that, that's where it came yeah. from. Wow, wow, that's uh, that's fantastic. And um, Asians are strong is a uh, uh, is an incredible name, um, and I think it really represents uh, a flip in the narrative. Um, when you think of Asians, you think of uh, like an ethnic minority and people can turn that into an assumption that, you know, Asians are weak or they can't defend themselves. Um, but really Asians um, or Indians actually are credited by historians as being the pioneers of uh, martial arts in the form of uh, Kung Fu. So can you tell me uh, why you chose to call your organization Asians are strong? And what does that mean for like the greater Asian community? Yeah, and you, you kind of touched on it a little bit. There, there's two parts of the name of why we chose Asians are strong. Um, number one is to remind our Asian community that we are strong. Uh, that's simple. During this time of all these violent hate crimes, I know there's a sense of fear and helplessness, uh, especially if you see people attacked, especially the weaker ones, right? They, they don't pick on the big guy in the room. They pick on the 75-year-old grandma and they sucker punch him. You know, and that type of imagery, that type of incident has a lot of trauma. And we wanted to talk to that directly, like remind people, like, we don't have to be, we, we don't have to just be a victim. You know, and it's a mindset that we need to break and take charge and make the change we want. So we wanted to speak to the community directly and remind them we are strong. We are a strong culture we are strong people we have always been strong and just to remind them that now is the time to be stronger like this is when you're being tested stay strong stay strong together and the other side is to the outside world breaking that model minority myth breaking those stereotypes that were easy victims easy targets that were passive is to remind them like don't don't pick on us you know like we're strong like you're about to find out the hard way that we're strong one day Kind of thing is just kind of breaking that narrative where it's like, why are people targeting? Why are people attacking us? Right? Like in changing those dangerous kind of stereotypes. And that that's where the thought process came from. Awesome. Awesome. And you mentioned the model minority myth. So for those who are not aware of that term, what is it and why is that dangerous? Yeah, I mean, think about what the name model minority is already bad enough, right? Like what, what is a model minority and who would deem you a model minority? 
that comes from basically a racist place, a systemically racist place. And now when you call them some group, a model minority, you basically put a target on their back. Uh, and, and it's also what is driving a lot of the other racial tensions between the Asian community and the rest of the world as, as well, especially in America. It's like, oh, they're the model minority. It's kind of like the, the golden kid in, in the classroom. They could be great relative to the teacher, but now you just piss off all the other kids because you kind of put someone on a pedestal, even though we don't want to be there because that pedestal is all messed up anyways. Right. Right. And, and, and then it kind of breaks down what, what do they mean that the Asians are a model minority, right? Like who does that really serve? You know, and that's the danger. Like who are we a model minority to, you know? And, and that's where like people think like, Oh, then, the minority, they don't have any problems. Like, no, that is the problem. <laughs> you don't just call a group a model minority. Like, oh, they're great, you know? Um, and with that, it's kind of understanding what are the stereotypes that are built into that quote-unquote model minority. Like, we're passive. You know, we kind of don't speak out. We kind of fade away a little bit. We're timid. You know, things like that. We just follow the rules kind of a thing, right? Like, they're, they're good kids on the block. They're not going to do anything. That doesn't give people the impression like they're going to stand up when something's when there's a problem kind of deal. So it kind of feeds into that stereotype that Asians are like more passive, more timid and weaker, both physically and mentally uh, type of narrative that that has become a danger because now we're looked at as easy targets for people to take advantage of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I really love the work that you're doing. Um, it, you know, brings a lot of much needed attention to this issue. And, um, uh, like I said before, it really helps to flip the narrative. Can you take us through, you know, some of what you teach in, in some of your self-defense workshops, like what can someone expect to learn, um, on how to intervene in one of these, uh, one of these situations if they ever happen? Yeah, so right now what we're really focused on is a lot of physical intervention. There's a lot of different ones, right? Like if you follow the five D's, the Hollaback Intervention Guidelines, they're great. And those talks about like, you know, direct, uh, distract, delegate, document, uh, and delay. Those type of intervention skills are great. We're focused a lot on the physical because we want to show people, basically combat the traumatic imagery that people are seeing. Because right now you see physical attacks and people are left wondering what could I have done? What would someone have done? And we just offer some of our recommendations based on our training and our research of some better you know, techniques that you could have used in that situation if you ever found yourself there. It's not a, you know, the go-to kind of explanation. We're, we're not saying we are the expert or premier expert on, you know, self-defense and bystander intervention, but we definitely do want to offer some kind of guidance on what you can do. So a lot of the videos that you see, we start with the scenario first. We don't go find the technique we want to show, but we're really probably like in a scenario, in a real life situation, what could you do here? All right. And, and we use those, we start from a scenario and then break it down on what were the best you know, techniques that we could implement there. So that resonates with people a lot more. And a lot of times what we do is if we do see a physical attack, either there is a bystander or not, and and break that real life video down and then try to reenact it in such a way that they can actually see, oh, I, if I was there in this time, this is something I could have done. And, and we're not telling people like just jump in out of nowhere. It's like, hey, you got to practice. You're not going to learn self-defense watching a one minute Instagram video. You know, 
we just want people to start that journey. Get have the idea that like, yeah, I could do something. I, I can if I want to. There's people who have done it. I just, now it's a responsibility on me to get to that level or get better and keep practicing as well. Totally, totally. Why have you guys chosen self-defense videos and why do you think that's so critically important right now? Uh, I guess like, you know, why we're focused on personal safety right now is because there is a lot of, that that's that's the first thing on people's mind right now. The community is like our personal safety. Everyone is and feels physically attacked right now. They they don't feel physically safe. And if they don't feel physically safe, they're not going to feel empowered to do anything because they're constantly worrying about that. And the codependency of mental health and physical health is really important. And to us, that's really part of why we're doing what we're doing the way we're doing it is because we want to make sure our community mentally feels more empowered by physically feeling empowered. And that's why we do self-defense and bystander intervention is that we can show them things to do, get them to feel personally safer so that they can feel more individually empowered. And then if we could get our community to feel individually empowered, then we can engage the community as a whole. And if we can engage the community and grow, then we can create a movement. And if we can create a movement, we can create change. That's incredible. You're a hero, man. You're doing great work. Anyone can do something. Kind of a deal, man. If I can, if I could do this or at least start it, like anyone can, and they should really feel empowered to do it because you're going to be surprised by the support you get. That's amazing. What about microaggressions? Can you tell listeners what those are if they don't already know? Yeah, microaggressions are basically like normalizing as a direct, indirect racist comments and it could be sexist as well or classes as well and like it could be something small like joking like oh you're asian you're a bad driver right uh jokes like that that people hear all the time i hear it from my friends all the time the, the thing is that normalizes like prejudices and there's no you can never draw a line with it so if you basically let it go the line keeps moving and there's more and more of these things that will keep happening. Say you and your friends are okay. Someone says that they're going to think it's okay to say it to another person. They're like, oh, yeah, I, I joke around with my Asian friends. I could go say it to another Asian. That person could be super offended. Now you just encourage basically traumatic experience for someone else. One of the things that we believe and I personally believe in is if you tolerate it, you encourage it. So if you tolerate microaggressions, you tolerate these hate speeches, you tolerate whatever, you're encouraging that behavior. So you have to take it on yourself. Are you going to say something, do something this time? Wow. Yeah. What are what are you most proud of when it comes to Asians Are Strong? Man, the community is it's, it's crazy. Like, 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 like you said, like when we planned this rally, we had no idea. I've never planned a rally before. None of the people on my team's ever planned a rally before, especially for like a like a uh, almost a political protest, right? Like we've never done that. And then I just put this out into the world and people just jumped on to help me. And then that was it. Like we were planning to just have a really cool rally, empower people and and go from there. But the momentum and, and the reception that people got behind us, like that just keeps you going. Like comments on, on Instagram, messages, 
people calling me like my old high school friends that I haven't talked to in a while, literally like texting me and messaging me like, Hey, like love what you're doing. Thanks for standing up. Like if you need anything, just let me know kind of a deal. And then seeing how the community is starting to rally together behind it. it, it I truly believe that that's the only way we're ever going to fix this problem. And, and seeing it in action, that, that, that is the most amazing thing to, to be a part of right now. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, like the only way that we're going to get through this is through community. Um, and I really admire, <clears throat> you know, all the things that you are doing within the Asian community to uh, bring awareness to this issue. One more question that I had about, you know, Asians are strong is like, you know, if you're in one of these situations and you uh, you are a bystander uh, and but you're afraid of putting yourself in danger, what do you say to those people? How do you know when they should take action or um, what will you do if, if it's like an active shooter situation? Um, can you tell me a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah. Uh, number one thing is your personal safety is most important over anyone else's is your personal safety. So you have to really start to practice assessing situations. And the only way you're going to get good at it is if you practice, like start thinking about the scenarios. That's why we, we go scenario focus first type of videos is because we want people to like put themselves in that mental situation and then figure out what are the things that you're lacking? Like, why do I feel unsafe and figure that out? Is it because I'm physically unsafe or do I not just know what to do? Then go through that situation. That's how I want people to first off, start thinking about that. Like, when do you feel physically safe versus unsafe? And if you do feel physically safe, do you want to physically intervene or there's other ways, right? There, there's so many different things you can do in this situation if you prepare for it. 99% of it is situational awareness, understanding the situation you're in, want to be in, and how you could put yourself in a, a better situation. And then when things hit the fans, then then there's a level of preparation that you've done ahead of time. You're not going to be put into a situation all of a sudden learn the techniques and skills that you need to. All this is done ahead of time. And when we encourage that, this is kind of a, like a life journey, a lifestyle that you just want to prepare yourself for whatever it is, for good or bad. Like It doesn't hurt to be more prepared. Right now, one, one of my yeah. favorite uh, quotes, too, is. Yeah, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener at war. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I think the Sun Tzu art of war. I think people sometimes get the wrong impression about like us putting all this stuff, uh, defense contact out there and like physical bystander intervention. It's not like saying, hey, everybody go jump in and do it. Now, if you feel empowered to do it, hell yeah, we support you. But that's not it. It's just like we want to help prepare everybody. Yeah, being powerful and strong doesn't mean you implement it on everyone. It's being able to control it whenever you find the right time to do it when it's necessary to do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Because when it comes down to it, you always have those three options when it comes to an active shooter. For example, like run, fight, or hide. Yeah, and you know, fight is just one of them, right? You don't always want to go there, and it's not always the safest to put yourself in that situation. Can you talk about that one time or actually the two times that you were able to help stop the car robberies from happening and, and recover luggage? Can you tell me that story? Yeah. Yeah. That that was funny because like we were actually on the street filming some self-defense videos. Like we were working through a scenario and all of a sudden this car alarm goes off and I'm going to be very honest. I was, I was kind of annoyed because like, oh, now it's messed up my shoot. I went for the car alarm to go off. I'm so desensitized to car alarms in San Francisco just because... You hear them all the time. 
But then one of my good friends and also the partner, he, he's like running down the street yelling something, right? And I look over and, and taking a look at what he's doing. And then his brother jets off across the street. And, I re- and then he said like, they're stealing. And so now I'm hauling my butt across the street. He's trying to intercept it. Uh, we were actually able to retrieve all of the the luggage and the, the two brothers were able to chase him down uh, and apprehend him, get a citizen's arrest until the cops actually got there. Um, that, that was the first time. And then the second time, it was actually after a, a free self-defense workshop we did. Uh, me and my partner and, and friend again, we were just having some food and drink in, in the same area, literally. And then uh, all of a sudden, one of the staff members like, hey, they're stealing again, right? So again, my friend, he's, he's like right by the door. He goes, he takes off. And, and so I see him running. My, my natural instinct is run too, because I saw the other guys hiding behind a car. So I knew where they were. So we were chasing them down. They got away that time because there was a getaway car across the, around the block that we didn't know. So they hopped in and, and left. Uh, but we were able to get back the, the luggage that time too. Wow, that is so incredible, Hudson. Uh, I really admire your uh, your swift action in th- that scenario, on those scenarios, and uh, how you guys just jumped in and, and um, helped out. You know, you just left what you were doing and just went straight after the criminals. So I really, really admire that work. Uh, last question kind of about Asians are strong before we kind of switch gears. What does the future hold for you with Asians are strong? Of all goes to plan, I mean, we keep growing. Um, and we could expand to have more physical presence in different cities, uh, at least in the U.S. There's so many cities that are you know, suffering from the same kind of uh, violent hate crimes like L.A. and New York, large metropolitan areas. You know, globally, too, like Vancouver in Canada is seeing a lot of it as well. I know Australia and the U.K. have, have dealt with their share as well. But we want to be able to grow, reach more people. I mean, that's the only way you can create something like a movement, you know. Right now, yeah. we're homegrown. Social media marketing and stuff like that has helped us already reach a broader audience from what we can do. But we want to be more on the grounds with with our community, be there with them, work through things. You know, you know, show them that you know we're not just random people online. Like we're here. Like we're we're about action. We're we're not just doing stuff for fun. Like we want to be with the community, empower the community, and then then the next one will do the next thing. The next one will do the next thing. And that's how we build this movement and go forward from there. That's incredible. Awesome. Now I want to switch gears and I want to ask a few questions about personal events that have shaped your life and your career. I want to dive in a bit deeper to find out the human story of what led you to become kind of the compassionate person that you are. Can you start off by talking about your childhood a little bit? What got you started with martial arts and what are some of the key events that shaped your childhood? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I think when I was younger, like, so I was born and raised in San Francisco. I actually lived in Chinatown, a small part of my childhood. And from there, you know, you just went into different groups of people. And back then, like, you have physical communities, right? There wasn't online. There wasn't social media. It's very different. So you had to hang out with people and you kind of took care of each other physically because that was your crew. That was your friends. No, you physically had to hang out. There was no smartphone. Like you couldn't like FaceTime anyone or Zoom with anyone. There wasn't like a social network anywhere. MySpace wasn't even an idea yet. That was before Facebook, you know, things like that. But so through that, I think I did come through at a very early age just because it was like, I think my mom just wanted to be 
put me in something so that I stopped bothering her. Um, and that was my first uh, exposure to it, but we didn't really take it very seriously. And then later, uh, I went into high school. That's when I started playing football. Uh, I did a little bit of wrestling, um, and that's where that competitive nature came from. And it helped me a lot because I, I, I knew that because I was physically in shape, I felt more confident and I liked that feeling. So I just kind of kept that going, like, you know, making sure my mental state and physical state kind of kept building on each other. Uh, and that's kind of what kind of put me through the journey to learn more. Once you kind of get that bug of like this physical self-empowerment, you know, martial arts, you always want to kind of level up a little bit, learn a little bit more, learn a little bit more. And, you know, if you just learn 1% more a day, you'll be 365% stronger by the end of the year kind of thing. Right. And, you know, those are the type of goals that I kind of liked and started going down that way. What specific types of martial arts did you practice? And do you have any uh, like heroes or influences in uh, the martial arts world? Yeah. Um, so I practice mainly uh, Muay Thai now, um, but I, I've dabbled in MMA. Uh, so I, I know a little bit of jujitsu, boxing, wrestling, and they kind of cross train, right? Like once you kind of go into that route, you want to learn a little bit more. You want to learn something that's dabbling that. Um, and, and so you just kind of improve yourself a little bit better. And also you're competing with your friends and peers and other uh, other fighters and you you want to test yourself. The, the only way you're going to know if you're good or how good you are is you go test it. You know, that competitive nature to, to really start doing that. Um, I mean, I, I have so many people I look up to in, in the martial arts world, you know, um, it's hard to not give credit to Bruce Lee. You know, he was like the godfather of, of like Asian American martial arts. You know, he really he was the first like mold breaker. For oh yeah. us. Uh, he's also considered the pioneer and first uh, mixed martial artist because he actually integrated some different styles um, of things. But he also worked with a lot of different groups. Back then, you know, Kung Fu was supposed to be for Chinese people. And it was, like, very culturally empowering. That's actually where martial arts came from. It was, like, a cultural thing to do. And it was a display. That's the art part of it. It was, like, it was a display. It wasn't, like, oh, you're going to use this at war, you know. It was a display yeah. of strength and power of, of, of the community, of the culture. And he opened that up to a lot of different people. And he, I know he got a lot of slack from it, uh, from the Chinese community itself. When he was like teaching like Westerners how to do Wing Chun and, and things like that, um, and so I always look up to him. Uh, Jackie Chan, he's practiced it, but what his story is more about to me is how he's helped a lot of the people in his community. People look up to Jackie Chan not as a martial artist, but as a community leader, um, and and that resonates a lot with me. Like he was able to you know be an example to a lot of other people uh, in that area. But those are, those are my OG heroes. Well, also, you know, I'm a little older, so I grew up watching all those films and stuff like that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I used to watch those as well. Um, I'm a, you know, I'm a quarter Chinese, a quarter Japanese, and um, my mom and I always loved watching Jackie Chan when I was a kid. So yeah. uh, that definitely resonates with me as well. Yeah, and, and it's been fun to see like the journey of the impact that that they've made and see it now, right? And now people like. Yeah, we needed more of that back then. You know, we need more of that now. We need more of that representation in the media and stuff like that and changing that narrative, right? Uh, that's kind of what is missing. People are like, man, that, if you're talking about a true transcendent, that was like 20 years ago. 
and people are asking for that now. It's like, yo, that's that's a, above the curve right there. That's before the curve type of thing. And now, I think now is even more prevalent. It's like, man, like, wow, those are true leaders. Or, or, or I mean, Jackie Chan's still alive, so he's still a leader. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk about how you got involved with Keen and how you, you know, started off with that position and kind of your volunteer work? Yeah, um, that was, oh man, it was like almost 10 or 11 years ago. I, I remember this. It was my friend's birthday. We went to brunch and I'm like dressed up nice because I was trying to look cool. And then she, after brunch, she was like, I'm going to go volunteer. Does anyone want to go? I was like, hell yeah, I'll go. I had no idea what we were doing, right? And I go there and there's like children with autism and you just help them play and enjoy and like seeing how like happy they were and how thankful the families were and how thankful the other volunteers were like that blew my mind like that that started me just wanting to do more and more and so i kept working with them going volunteering with that group i think they do great work great team and so last year or two years ago they asked me to join the associate board there and to do a little bit more strategic stuff that was right before covid but so you know, COVID kind of messes a lot of things up because a lot of what we did was physically work with the children and the family and things like that. And so that has been extremely rewarding. I continue to learn a lot from that uh, as well because I feel good every time I go. So it's not 100% altruistic because it feels good to me. That's why I keep going. But then, you yeah. know, why not do something that everyone feels good about? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And can you talk about your upbringing a little bit in terms of uh, any like religious or spiritual things that have shaped your life? How has religion or spirituality or anything like that shaped uh, your worldview? Yeah, I mean, my family, for the most part, are Buddhist. My immediate family is not. They're, they're more agnostic. I was kind of raised agnostic. I found Christianity when I was in high school. a very devout Christian at that time. But since then, it's kind of fallen off. And what always resonated with me was that there's always similarities with their religions. Cause I always, I wanted to learn, right? Because like, if this is real, that's really powerful. But I was like, why do so many other people think so convictedly about their religion? Like who's right, right? So I you know, curiously looking into different things and then finding a theme throughout basically all of them is, you know, you want to treat your people the way you want to be treated. And that seemed like a golden rule throughout whatever religion that was, right? I was like, and that resonates with me, right? There's these principles of being good. Just be good. Like, <laughs> it is, that was the principle for people. Be convicted in what you believe in and be good. And, and, and so that, you know, shaping to me is like, that's so fundamental throughout life, throughout whatever you do. I try to do that with, you know, work, career, and obviously with uh, issues of strong. It wasn't that there was one religion was that I found the commonality within religions. And to me, like, I mean, regardless of what they're arguing about, who's right, who's now, who's the real God, who's not the real God, they all still agree on this. It's like, okay, that, that's a point I could live by then, you know, because no one's going to argue that. I mean, first of all, I believe it, but it's like even all the other religions believe it. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that because it's very universal, you know, treating others, how you want to be treated. Um, it's the fundamental golden rule. And it's, it's just kind of like some laws or some practices that kind of help to put your, your life in order with others and, and to be in harmony with others. Uh, so I can totally see how that has influenced your, your career. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you put it, it's like, like finding these like universal truths 
those things you could double down on, you know, like, you know, I don't know how to practice or worship or whatnot. Like I'm not, I'm not there. I'm just saying that that was it. And I was like, man, like, you know, those type of things, like how to treat others. There's, there's more granularities within different religions, but this one seemed to be like the one that everybody shared. So that's me something. Yeah. That's awesome. How does someone develop their courage? Someone who might be a little bit, you know, afraid or uh, fearful. How does somebody be strong and, and develop their courage? Small wins. You have to do one thing at a time. You're not going to go from zero to black belt, right? And you, and you have to want that journey. You're like, I want to be brave. I want to be courageous. And you take one step at a time. Maybe it's just watching a lot of YouTube videos for the first time, listening and watching other people train in practice. And maybe you do your first class and then maybe you do a couple of more classes and, and now you're training other people and now you're intervening and using those skill sets in real life. You know, it's these one small step at a time. You know, don't overwhelm you with too many things. Like there, there's no end of courage, right? <laughs> like you don't just get to a point like, oh, I'm good. I'm courageous now and you're done. Like it always gets tested. Like even for me, I feel fearful in different situations in my life. And I know people that I consider the most badass people, they have their doubts, but it is a lifestyle to be courageous. It's not just a goal. So you have to want that lifestyle to, you know, continue to work towards that. And that to me is a powerful thing because it takes a little bit of that pressure. Like, oh, I, there's a measure of courage. There isn't, no one's gonna measure your level of courage like more than that person. But these small wins, one step at a time to take it, to want it, you know, uh, and then to make the progress towards it, you know, just keep going and, and then you'll get to that rhythm, get to that groove, uh, and you're gonna want that, enjoy that lifestyle. It shouldn't be a burden to be a courageous person. You know what I mean? It should be a man, I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna go do something cool for myself today. Wow, that's incredible. Thank you so much. Uh, I know you've worked in various different startup organizations um, and, and things like that. What is like one or two essential skills or uh, pieces of wisdom that every um, entrepreneur or uh, leader should have in their toolbox? And why did you choose that? Number one is focus. You just have to have focus when you're a small startup or a nonprofit, like be very focused and you have to. And number two is you got to love it. If you don't love it, you will quit. Yeah. Can you talk about what made you want to become a firefighter? Yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to find a job or a career where I was kind of helping something. And, you know, at that time, you're a younger guy, a lot of testosterone. You know, the firefighter was cool, right? Like, And I wanted to learn about it, too. Right? There's a lot of fascinating knowledge behind every career. It gets really granular into you know being super safe, like what makes a building safe versus not safe, and understanding is that a dangerous situation or not, like things like that, right? But it's also like giving back. You get paid to be someone's hero one day, you know. I'm like, dude, that's cool, you know, learning about it more and enjoying it and learning about dealing with water and fire and the elements and all these things like traffic, emergency safeties, and things like that rescue missions and wildlife fire versus like structure fire. Um, but UC Davis, I saw I went to Davis. UC Davis uh, had a student firefighting program. I didn't know about it until I got there. And I just heard about it. And I was like, that's going to go. So then I started looking into it. I was like, 
Oh, that's actually kind of cool. Like I've never at that point really considered like I'm going to be a firefighter yet. Right. But then understanding and looking into it more like how rewarding it can be, how fun it is, the type of people you're around. Some of my best friends are, are still from my time uh, working as a, a firefighter. And so and that camaraderie, that, that altruistic type of career, like, wow, you could actually really blend it. And I can see some ultimately at the end of the day, it wasn't the, my career choice of, as of now. But I can see how, like, wow, these guys have, like, really, guys and girls have really, like, found something they love to do and get paid for it. I was like, that's awesome. And so that's why I was, like, really intrigued by it because I've seen, I've never met, like, at least from my point, a firefighter who hated his job. Yeah, no, totally. They're out there saving lives and protecting people and uh, helping to quell all those fires. It's really admirable work. Yeah. All right, well... Um, now I'd like to dive into our rapid fire questions. Um, these will give our listeners a chance to, uh, to get to know you a little bit better. The first question, are you ready? Yeah. Uh, the first question is where did you grow up and where do you live now? I grew up in San Francisco and I still live in San Francisco. <laughs> that's why, that's why I, you know, this community means so much to me. I've seen it change. I've seen it go through its ups and downs. Uh, and that's why like, I, I feel like, uniquely qualified to help my community here and uh do you have a favorite quote and uh who is it by yeah i have two the the first one that comes to mind is a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor and i think that's franklin d roosevelt yeah that, that was one of my favorite ones that that one blew my mind like that's right you know if you're if you're going through something that's kind of tough and that's what makes it incredible to achieve kind of a deal it's amazing and a major theme of our show is on compassion and giving back. When's the last time that you did something for somebody without any expectation of return? And what was it that you did? Oh, man. Uh, well, actually, we did a free self-defense workshop today, actually. Um, you know, one of our followers, uh, we did like a Mother's Day giveaway. Uh, and so we, we just did a free self-defense with her and, and her daughter uh, this morning. Uh, and so... Early this week, we did another one as well. I mean, a lot of these things that we're doing right now, it's like we just want to try to give as much as humanly possible that I can right now. That's amazing. I really admire that. And uh, who is somebody that has made an incredible impact on your life? Um, and uh, who are some of your heroes or mentors? Single-handedly, it will probably be my mama. I've learned so much from her, good and bad. But the perseverance of what she can do, the passion, and how open-minded she is. We, we butt heads about so many things, but she's always willing to listen and yell back at me and stuff like that. But, you know, my mom obviously has taught me so many life lessons that I, I probably can't even put into word. And, and the man I am now is definitely because of her. Fantastic. And uh, what's your favorite book and why? Ooh. I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell, and I think one of my favorite ones is Tipping Point. And it talks about these events that happen in our lives and, and big events often. And it's not because one singular thing. And it kind of ties back to all this Asian hate. It's like there's so many aspects, so many layers behind it. To really get a full picture, you have to understand that it didn't just suddenly happen. A lot of it kind of stacked together. And that always helps me, like, step back a little bit when I analyze whatever's happening in either my life or in the world is to really understand like what, what is going on 
what are the other things that impact it? It just helps me step back and think about other things. But I also love the way he writes. Um, he uses a lot of facts and real life kind of um, examples to highlight points. And I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, I think Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell is also one of my, my favorite books from him. Yeah. All right. So I just have uh, three remaining questions. Here's a question I ask to every guest. Let's imagine a hypothetical situation where there's a community of really good people and all of them have the best of intentions. They're just not sure how to make a greater impact. What three words or mantras would you write on a billboard to help them make a greater impact? And why did you choose those words? Do it now. Because a lot of times we're going to talk ourselves out of something. And once you start doing something, it helps you clarify all of those questions that you actually have in your head. Uh, and there's no better time than now. There's never a better time than now. So do it now. That's fantastic. I like that. Um, next question. What's your why behind helping others? And why do you love helping? And uh, what keeps you going even when times are tough? Man, I mean, that's kind of the same question for me because it's because people have helped me so much throughout my life and how thankful I am about that and how how I know it impacts me. I just want to give some portion of that back to the world somehow. And, and if more people just keep doing that, you know, I, I think the world will slowly become a better and better place. But I remember the moments in my life where I did want to quit before stop doing things, you know, question myself and things. And then someone by some divine intervention, you might say, has helped me out. And those impactful moments, those, those are the memories I have for the rest of my life, regardless of what happens. And that person may not even be in my life physically anymore. But those memories and those, those lasting impressions are what does keep me going. Because I know I've been down before and they've helped me out and show me the way. And I just want to help out the community or give some tool, some platform, so someone else to do it as well. Um, and so I was just grateful because they've done it for me. So, and, and I'm thankful. So I want, I want to share that back somehow. Wow. Awesome. I love that. What are ways that listeners can take action and help out your cause at Asians are strong? Number one is be strong, right? Like nothing we can do will mean anything if our community doesn't take action to protect themselves and their loved ones. Like you have to stand up for yourself. That's number one, like not money, not nothing. Like we rather have our community stand up and take action and help each other. That's number one. Well, if our, if our community does that, we, we rather not exist, honestly, right? Like if I don't have to work on Asian hate, I don't have to work on self-defense and bystander intervention because the world is at that type of a progress. That's amazing. You know, but we're not there yet. So besides that, if you follow us on Instagram or any of our social media channels, that helps us a lot because that gives us power to demand change, to demand anything. So, you know, following and sharing our content, you know, giving us basically helping us be credible helps us as an organization do more things. And obviously, if you feel like you can or want to donate to us or buy like merchandise on our website, we need money. We're a nonprofit. So that would be very helpful as well. 
Wonderful, Hudson. It's been such an honor and a privilege speaking with you. I want to lastly just acknowledge your enormous contributions to the Asian community specifically. I admire the fact that you're uh, you're really starting to uh, kind of change the conversation, change the narrative behind Asians and uh, shed a light that, you know, Asians are powerful, Asians are strong, and uh, helping to empower and promote self-defense in these communities for the defenseless and uh, helping to give a voice to the voiceless. So I really appreciate and admire all that you're doing. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for telling us about your work today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the work you're doing, Sean. Good stuff. I'm a fan. So thank you for having me. I hope this episode helps to remind us all that we can each play a part in the effort to support the Asian community at this time. It's sad and frustrating and disappointing that even in 2020 and 2021, we have seen a new wave of violence and hateful discrimination targeting the Asian American and Pacific Islander community. However, groups like Asians Are Strong inspire us and remind us to lead by example. Please support this group and others like it. Look for ways that you can stop Asian hate and go see Marvel's new movie, Shang-Chi. Help support the Asian community however you can. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. Share it with your friends. And please leave us a review and remember to rate us five stars if you enjoyed listening to this podcast. Thank you.